AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. The Android Year in Review report is basically uh, Google's way of, of saying where they're at with Android security, providing some statistics as to you know, what's going well, what's not going well. In general, it's sort of a state of Android report. So Stan, uh, John told us that he took a look at that report that came out from, uh, from Google about the security of the Android platform these days. It's a pretty big report. Uh, I was hoping he would be able to distill some of the, the details for us. So John, why don't you just tell us what you know? One of the things is, is you have to understand that when Google does this, they use things that uh, they use a term called PHA, which is um, a potentially harmful application. And so they don't call them viruses or malware. Some highlights uh, by the fourth, fourth quarter of 2016, um, less than uh, 0.71% of the devices. You know, to be honest, I was quite surprised that the incidence rate is so small. Just based on all the news articles we usually read uh, and uh, the malware. For me, I'm always looking at the malware. So I see it as a much bigger problem. Kind of made me surprised but happy at the same time. So John, I wonder if the report has any statistics about malware in third-party app stores, which, as I've always understood, it was where the real problem with Android malware really resides. And, and they do have some because, you know, like I said, they're running Verify apps on the device, and they can see that, oh, this, this APK does not match anything that's on the Play Store. So they can do some statistics based on, on you know, those detected uh, APKs. The numbers are small. You know, when you take that 0.71% of devices with PHAs on them, if you just look at those ones that just had apps exclusively from the Google Play Store, that number actually dropped to 0.05% of devices have PHAs. They talk about how many handsets they included in the analysis at all? Because I wonder if, you know, you have like a million handsets and 0.05 of them are infected. That's still a lot of infected sure. handsets. A absolutely. But, but I, I, think, I, I think you'd be safe to, to say, you know, that like in the United States, that there's probably a good 100 million plus Android handsets just in the United States. Were there any significant statistics that caught your eye out of this report? Things that were really sort of eye-popping? Things that were surprised you maybe? The, the one thing that really surprised me, I think more than anything else out of this whole report, is that SMS fraud is still real high, um, especially in Thailand. Uh, the U.S. is actually very low, which is good for our U.S. Uh, constituents out there. And kind of the same thing with backdoors by Google Play. Um, there's a, a, a family of uh, malware, or however you want to call it, called that Google calls Shammy, that actually does premium SMS. So we're back to this SMS about back to messaging. Um, they call it backdoor for this uh, this case, and those are a lot of those outside of Google Play. That's that's the things that seem to be on the rise. Is trying to get more money, right? And, and one of the easiest ways to get money is to actually charge you know you for for you know for sending a text message. Hmm. There was one more thing I wanted to ask, and that was about um, if there was any specific mention of ransomware, because I know that's a growing field on PC. I want to know if there were any new stats on that on Android. There is information in the report on ransomware. It's not, like I said, it's not something I think you would see a lot in the United States, for at least for Android at this time. You know, knock on, knock on wood, wherever we can find it. But uh, it, it is, it is, it is there. Um, you know, people are asking for Bitcoin, you know, or whatever to free up devices. Um, I think that one of the differences is that you know, with some of the technologies 
uh, you know, with the mobile devices, you, you have a backup somewhere in the cloud or it's easy to recover. Cool. Well, I wonder if we're going to see something similar come out of Apple at some point. I don't know if they're going to be as, as open with about it, but it'd be cool to see a, a corresponding report for their ecosystem. Yeah. And they probably don't have as much of a problem uh, because they're much more closed off, I think, and yep. a lot of people. By design, yeah. By design. Yeah, their, their, their ecosystem system is a lot more closed. Google is doing a good job. You know, studying the problem is actually the first uh, step to solving it. And they've also been taking steps. They haven't just been studying the problem. They've been doing things to make sure that the platform is more secure. There aren't too many surprises in the report. It's more reassurances, in my opinion, of that things are going well, that they're moving in the right direction in terms of Android security. And I think if you're personally interested in understanding what it is that Google does to protect that ecosystem, as I am as an Android user, I think it's a good read. It is 70 pages. You can skim through a lot of it um, and pick and choose the things that you want to understand. But if you happen to have a nice uh, afternoon and <laughs> you want to sit down and read all of it, nothing prevents you from doing that, too. Actually, this is a very Android-heavy week for us on the show, uh, talking about the Google Play Store and some of the security measures Google has been taking. Researchers from Zscaler discovered a new type of malware uh, with using old and new techniques. They found on the Google Play Store some uh, apps that seem to be ripoffs of legitimate apps. Right, so, which we've seen that technique used before. Yeah, that's right? a very common they technique. They repackage exactly. popular apps as rogue ones. Be careful about what apps you install kind of look at how many people have installed that app already. If it's a very low number and you know that it's a really popular application, that should kind of trigger some alarm bells. Like, well, wait a second. This has only been installed 150 times. That doesn't seem right. You know, pretty much, I know lots more people have that. They had a few tricks here that maybe they didn't have in the past. So they had the standard, like you said, the shim layer where they have the legitimate app and they add a layer of C2 on it. Mm -hmm. But some of the evasion techniques they used, which were uh, you know, they're not like extraordinarily novel or anything like that, uh, but interesting, the combination of all of them. The new spin that they took to it is they, uh, they tried different tactics for evading, I guess, the uh, protections that maybe Google has, one of which was to not do anything bad for the first six hours. There's a lot of apps that get deployed to the Google Play Store. So there's, you can't have a human go check each one. So a lot of times what they do is they put it in an automated sandbox and they try to evaluate automatically what it does. But if um, it doesn't do anything for six hours, then the automated sandbox may not detect that. Where they injected the code was like in a legitimate package from Google. So there was some sort of a logging component where they put the malicious code logic. So when you did your analysis, I guess it looked like the calls were coming from this uh, legitimate component from Google. Mm -hmm. um, so the other interesting thing, and I haven't heard of this one before, is you know sometimes people install apps and they don't kind of they forget they have them and they, yeah, yeah. they just they never look at them again. If nobody clicked on the icon for uh, five days, it would actually just remove the icon. The malware would still be running, but you wouldn't see the icon at that point. Unless you're a pretty experienced user, you're not going to be able to find that application on your phone because uh, now it's buried somewhere in the Android operating system where you can't even see it. I guess you would have to have admit or given that app some sort of administrative privileges to be able to even do that. Right? Yeah, you know, I forgot to mention this was actually right. The app needs administrative uh, rights to basically the device in order to be able to do its function. Uh, but the way they do it is, I guess, they try to trick the the person to give the control mm -hmm. over to the app. 
I think the model for permissions has changed recently, or recently in the last few years. Whereas before, when you installed an app on Google Play Store, you needed to say, these are all the permissions I'm ever going to need. Right. Except now I notice when I use apps, it's like one permission at a time. So do you want to give it access to your photos? Do you want to give it access to your phone at the time of use? Right, right. So I think it's probably a little bit easier to trick people to say yes, do you want to give this app administrative rights to modify some setting, you know, right. and show them some kind of a settings page? People might get confused by that. So they found that it was like a couple of apps that this was happening on, and the monetization component of it was to drive people to advertising, to so okay. displaying pop-up ads. The response from Google, of course, was to once they were notified, they were able to take this down within 24 hours, which shows you know, that they are always paying attention and making sure that, you know, people are protected from right. So they were able to get on it pretty quick. And are they able to remove, like once, let's say people have it installed, is there a way for them to kind of get it removed from yes. devices? Yeah, I think okay. in the latest uh, update that I had, maybe, well, I guess it wasn't the latest, it was like a few versions ago, I had to accept an agreement that was updated that said they can remove any app from my phone if they deem it necessary. Oh, okay. And we were just So that would be a good thing for people to opt into yes, if you want to keep your device definitely. secure. Well, even I don't think you even have a choice anymore. I think oh, when okay. you use these devices now, the, that's that's a given. I think they're doing a good job and this is another good evidence that, you know, they're able to quickly respond. I like the fact that they're able to uh, remove it from devices that did install it. What I liked about Google's response is that, you know, once the researchers reached out to them and told them what the problem was, they were able to handle it within 24 hours, taking the apps off of the Play Store, uh, which I think is a very good response and very quick. All right, so let's take a look at the internet weather for this week, Matt. And um, it's been a unsurprisingly calm uh, weather. If you've been watching the show over the past probably few months, there's not really much of a change. So Telnet, SSH, that 5358 TCP, the 7547 TCP, all those ports are related to these IoT devices, scanning, trying to find new devices, recruit them into their respective botnets. I'm gonna to jump to the most sources probing because this is usually where you see lots of devices uh, in unison doing things. And again, really not surprising, Telnet 7547, which is that... TR06469 bug. Right, CPE WAN management protocol. Yep. 5358, which I have a little bit of a better theory on now, which is actually your theory, um, and we'll talk about that in a second. You're welcome. And um, 22 TCP, which is SSH. I'm interested to understand why it is that port 22 had such an uptick in the last couple of weeks. It's not going to be immediately obvious because it is a commonly used port. Let's take a quick look at uh, the 22 TCP, which is SSH. Uh, we had an uptick uh, towards the uh, late uh, last year into the beginning of this year. Uh, where we had, you know, maybe 14,000 scan sources per hour, and it kind of, you know, curtailed off. But within the beginning of March here, it's really kind of upticked. Yeah. You can see we've got a real elevated scan here, where it's kind of sustained up into 14,000 scan sources per hour. I know, looking at some of this activity, again, IoT devices, lots of security camera DVRs, lots of other embedded devices of that type of router, home routers, uh, DSL modems, things of that nature are participating in this type of activity. So it's definitely IoT. They're trying to find each other. And a lot of those devices listen on SSH. Some only listen on SSH. So I think that this is, you know, recruitment trying to 
find new devices, brute force their way in and build up those botnets. Matt had theorized, well, maybe there's a pool of devices that people knew were out there, but they didn't know what the default credentials were for them. My theory is that there's some device out there that maybe default credentials for it were, were leaked or, or exposed somehow and someone's jumping on the bandwagon because now there's you know, an extra population they didn't have access to that they could break into now and control. I would suspect that he's probably right. And they're like, hey, let's go scoop up those ones now. So it could be some activity related to that. Most of these have you know, a list of like maybe 50, maybe not even that many username password combinations that are very common for all these devices like admin admin and user one two three four five six things like that and they try those combinations that they get in then they implant their malware on there and whatnot so when you look at 23 tcp this is to your point you know last year we we're way up in the 450,000 scan sips per hour at certain points we we're looking at 300,000 in here mm -hmm. we've come down to about what is this a hundred thousand scan sips per hour wow. so it's like a third at least from where we were kind of baseline normally um, towards the late part of last year. So that doesn't necessarily mean, obviously we know there's tons of these devices still out there. When we talk about this, it's mostly those IoT devices, uh, home routers, uh, uh, security camera DVRs. This is a problem and it's getting worse and worse. It's not getting better. Uh, there's a lot of IoT-based devices out there. People should be aware of what they're deploying and whether they're exposing these types of services freely to the internet so that they could potentially become compromised. So let's take a look at uh, 7547. This is that CPE WAN management protocol. We've been talking about this one for a while. No big change as compared to what we've seen since the, pretty much the beginning of the year. It was, you know, we had the Deutsche Telekom incident, which might have had some impact from this scanning activity where they're trying, basically what they're trying to do if you look at these packets, which we've shown before on the show, is they're trying to leverage a vulnerability in the TR64 um, function that is sometimes exposed on devices that are coded poorly, right? The, the way the software was written is allowing the land side protocol to be accessed from the internet facing side, which on you should- On the exact same port. Yeah. Right, on the same port, which shouldn't be done. And what they do is they found that there's some of them, notably the NTP service, they try to like, craft some stuff in there to yeah, make it do Yeah, you're trying things. to set up a new NTP server in that list and that, that spot was actually command injection. Yeah, like yeah. they're doing command injection in there. Whether most, I think most devices that get that, that are listing on this port, probably just say, go away. Yeah. I, I'm not gonna honor your request. Uh, so that's good. But still, you can see there's definitely a certain number of devices out there still scanning. It looks like it's about 40,000-ish uh, per hour that we see, uh, which is pretty significant it's pretty much of a steady state amount of traffic for a while now. So they're just continuously trying. I don't know that they're gonna be uh, very successful with this scanning though. Mm -hmm. So here's the other one that I think was interesting. We've been talking about this a lot and I haven't really done as much research as I wanted to. I did a little bit of digging and you actually mentioned this to me maybe a couple of weeks ago. So the 5358 TCP, this is that web services for devices secured port that is used by Windows, however, I have a feeling this has nothing to do with that port. There is some good information that this is probably related to the Hajime worm. I had the idea that it might have been related to Hajime because I saw a few reports. I didn't do the, the legwork that John Hogaboom did. I'm glad he did it. It's very interesting. When I look at the types of devices that are scanning on this uh, port, 
it's always these embedded devices, DVRs, other embedded Linux IoT. So it's the same kind of stuff that we expect to see. Mm -hmm. And it also aligns with the types of devices that Hajime would try to infect. Uh, I did a little analysis and I grabbed flow data from our you know, environment. So I said, okay, let me look at the internet backbone that we look at. And just from a flow perspective, how much 5358 TCP traffic do we see? 93 million flows in total. Of that, 92.8 million flows were SIN only, which yeah. means they're not talking to anybody who's listening. I suspect that the scanning activity might not have anything to do with really scanning. That might be a method for infected devices to poke other devices just to wake them up. Kind of like if I went to your house and I knocked on your door, but you don't answer the door, you come out a different side door and talk to me. It needs more study, but um, I feel like there's probably more truth to this than some of the other things I've been looking at saying, well, maybe they're looking for squid proxies or something because we saw a very small number of them on that. Um, I don't think that's the case here. Um, I think they're, it's, they're trying to communicate something to each other, but I'm not quite sure what. Okay. If anybody knows that's watching the show, please let us know. Uh, I haven't done a hard study of this uh, before. It's very difficult to sort of guess at why someone chooses to pick these targets or to use these bugs. I really don't know. So I think that's all I had. Like I said, we've, you know, we've, had, um, we've been uh, reporting pretty much the same things for quite a while now, no new services. I would say the 5358 is probably the newest one that we've been kind of watching, but no other ports or protocols that I'm seeing big changes in behavior. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.